When it comes to air quality, the bad news is that wildfires and air pollution have really degraded the quality of our air. But the good news is that we're all realizing that the quality of our air, and particularly the quality of our indoor air, is really darn important. I'm so excited to tell you about Puro Air because in 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, and gases from your room. It uses a stronger type of filter called a HEPA-14, and it filters pollutants at a microscopic level. I keep my Puro Air running upstairs where the bedrooms are all night. I love that it's quiet. Cleaner air just hits different, doesn't it? Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time for the people in the back, getpuroair.com. Hello there. Welcome back. My name is Stephanie Safarian, and you're listening to episode 264 of Sustainable Minimalists, a twice-weekly show about intentional and eco-minimalist living. On today's show, we are discussing PFAS chemicals, aka forever chemicals. PFAS has gotten an awful lot of media coverage lately. And so if you've heard something about PFAS chemicals, you don't know what they are, you want to know what they are, this episode is for you. Today I'm speaking with Kevin Loria. Kevin is a senior reporter for Consumer Reports. He covers health and science, and he extensively covered Consumer Reports research into the prevalence of PFAS in food packaging. Kevin, really thrilled to talk to you today. Let's start with who you are, what you do, and how you found yourself covering Forever Chemicals. Yes. So thank you for having me. I am a senior health and science reporter at Consumer Reports. Over the past couple of years, I've obviously spent a lot of time covering COVID. But aside from that, one of the primary things that I write about is environmental health. So we take a look at the way that different chemicals that are in products that we use or are exposed to or are in the environment around us and how these chemicals affect us. So I've written about chemicals in plastics, and I think that one of the other really interesting topics right now are these substances, PFAS chemicals. We're going to get into everything we need to know about PFAS chemicals today. For any listener who's never heard of a PFAS anything before, what is it and why should we care about our exposure to them? So the term that people might have come across before is this term forever chemicals. And basically PFAS refers to this very large chemical family or this group of chemicals that stands for pair and polyfluoroalkyl substances. It's something I'll try not to say fast because it gets complicated. But basically these chemicals have been produced and used widely for decades now. They were first discovered in the late 1930s and went into production in the following decades. And they have a lot of interesting properties. They are resistant to heat, corrosion, friction. So early on, aside from some kind of more specific industrial or military uses, they were used in nonstick pans, and they're part of what makes pans nonstick. They can be used to make carpet or fabric stain or water resistant. They're found in outdoor gear. They are actually used in firefighting foam. And so when they end up in food packaging, the reason that they're put there is because that they can make packaging, they can make the paper that holds food basically grease or oil resistant. 
consistent. So whether you've got a burger in a wrapper or a bag of French fries or a salad in a bowl, the layer of these chemicals can help prevent them from seeping through the packaging, which on its surface sounds great, but Over the past few decades, past couple of decades in particular, we've started to learn that there are reasons to be concerned about these chemicals. And to go back to that term forever chemicals, one of the things to keep in mind is that they essentially don't break down naturally or do so extremely slowly to the point that when they're produced and when we dispose of the products that have them, the levels of these chemicals build up in the environment and they can build up in us as well. And they last in the environment for an extremely long time. And in us, they can last, depending on the chemical, for uh, years or months for a, a, you know, a long time. And so it's something that even though we have a lot of questions still, and we're starting to learn reasons to be concerned, just that durability, that kind of forever chemical aspect is definitely something to be aware of. I know that my listeners consider themselves conscious consumers, and perhaps they even dabble in low-toxin living. Teflon or nonstick pans have been long given the side-eye for their health claims. But what I hear you saying in your answer is that these forever chemicals are found in our outdoor gear, perhaps our clothing that is rain resistant or our carpets. What are the documented implications of these PFAS forever chemicals on human health? Why should we care? Why should we be trying to avoid them? So we're talking about a large chemical family, kind of more than you know 9,000 chemicals in theory, although it's really a number of hundreds that are in commerce and produced actively that we are more aware of. We know a lot about a couple of these chemicals. We know some about a number of them, and there are many that we know very little about. But for the ones that we do know a lot about, there's been this association with a number of health problems. So this includes an increased risk for certain cancers, kidney and liver damage, issues with fertility, some developmental effects. I think that the health effect that, so scientists call this the most sensitive endpoint, the thing that occurs even at the lowest levels, the negative health effect that's been documented at lowest levels of exposure is a weakened immune system. And so that shows up as a weaker response to childhood vaccines. And basically anything that affects the immune system in kids or in anyone is definitely of concern, perhaps especially right now. And you mentioned before you touched on, I should say, the environmental concerns. They're called forever chemicals for a reason because either they don't break down or take a ridiculously long time to break down. Why does that matter? When these chemicals get in the environment, which they do both from the production side of things, there's industrial runoff that is known to contaminate uh watersheds. And then there's also the disposal of the products that contain these chemicals, whether they end up in landfills or incinerators. Over time, these chemicals can leach out of landfills or incineration may spread them around through the air. And basically, they end up contaminating water, soil, they end up in the air. And because of that, they end up in crops, in drinking water, in food sources for people. 
that's part of the way that people are exposed and can cause these negative health effects. Environmentally, they can cause these effects in, in animals as well. And basically, because they are, as you've mentioned, as we've talked about, they're not breaking down, these levels can just build over time. So as we continue to produce them, since they're not going away, in certain places, the levels get higher and higher. And I think that we see that in the ubiquity of these chemicals around the world. And so they can be found at this point in time in remote islands or at the base camp of Mount Everest. They've really made their way everywhere. And so it raises questions, should we be producing and using these as widely as we are? You just mentioned producing these things as widely as we are. And that's the perfect segue into Consumer Reports research. Now, I should say, as a side note, I think I read about this research originally. It's recent in major publications. It's been getting a good amount of press. Tell us, what did Consumer Reports study? And first, and, and I really want to know why or how the testers chose the items they chose. Let's start there. Yeah. So our scientists who were behind this project looked at 118 different types of food packaging. So they looked at products from grocery stores, from fast casual restaurants and fast food restaurants. So everything from places that you might think of as a healthier chain to a more typical fast food chain to a grocery store, whether it's on Stop and Shop, a Whole Foods, a Trader Joe's. And they looked for products that based on other available research that's out there, they thought there was the possibility that these products might contain PFAS. So the focus was on products that tend to, in most cases, the vast majority of cases, the products that we looked at and the products that may have PFAS in them are products that appear to be paper or cardboard. And so it's interesting from a environmental or sustainability perspective, these things might appear to be a better alternative to plastic packaging, for example. But if it turns out they come with a layer of PFAS chemicals, that may not be the case. But they chose these products based on the possibility that they could have PFAS in them. Give me some examples here. I'm assuming what you're talking about when you're talking about the packaging that was tested, perhaps the glossy paper that your hamburger is wrapped in at a fast food joint, or maybe even the seemingly cardboard box that your french fries come in. Would those be two accurate examples? Yeah, those would be examples or boxes that food might come in, bags that food might come in, the molded fiber bowls that you see in some places that you'll get like a burrito or a salad in. We also just tested paper plates from grocery stores, the paper that you might get at a grocery store that a sandwich is wrapped in or a bakery product, something like that. The tray that a cake or a pizza might come on, all kinds of different items, a a big variety. I already know what you're going to say because I already read the report, but tell my listeners, what did Consumer Reports research find? So our researchers looked at these 118 different food products and found evidence for PFAS in over half of what we tested. In some cases, this is a low level that we found, something that could be uh, an 
incidental contamination, something that occurs because this is recycled paper and the source material had PFAS in it, or because perhaps it was a printing machine that had PFAS in the lubricant. In other cases, we found higher levels that indicate more likely intentional use. About a third of the products that we tested exceeded a legal limit that Denmark has set on the level of PFAS or total organic fluorine allowed in food packaging. Um, And that's a pretty strict limit of 20 parts per million total organic fluorine. I think 22 of the products we tested exceeded a limit that California will have in place starting next year that's meant to prevent intentionally added PFAS from being in packaging. Okay, so I'm getting ahead of myself, but I have to ask, you mentioned that Denmark has a legal limit and California will have a legal limit. Am I to then assume that the United States does not have a legal limit set? Yes. So right now, when it comes to PFAS regulation in the United States, and when it comes to what's happening with PFAS and packaging, I think that you're definitely seeing more action from states on this than from the federal government, from the FDA, who regulates food packaging. California has these rules going into place. I believe that other states, including New York, Maine, and I want to say Washington State, and I think there are a number more, are working on setting rules to try to phase PFAS out of packaging. When we reached out to the FDA for our story, what they told us is that they don't want to make the assumption there's all of these different PFAS chemicals. And while we know that certain ones of them are hazardous, they say that we don't necessarily know that about all of them. And so basically, it seems like they want to wait until there's documented evidence that a specific chemical is harmful before trying to get that chemical removed. Now, the issue with that that a lot of researchers have brought up with me is that because there are so many chemicals and because it's hard to know which chemicals are being put into packaging or used in different settings, just because something gets substituted doesn't necessarily mean it's safer. The substituted chemical that performs the same function, (laughs) it's very possible that it could cause similar health effects. And so a lot of researchers would prefer a more precautionary approach where we say there's evidence that some of these chemicals are harmful. Let's restrict their use in non-essential cases based on the possibility that similar chemicals could cause similar health effects. Hello, Sustainable Minimalist listeners. Are you committed to living a greener and simpler life? Well, meet Home Threads, your ally in more sustainable and minimalist home decor. As the total destination for decor and furniture, Home Threads helps you define your minimalist lifestyle while respecting the planet. Discover their exclusive Haven collection. They use many sustainable materials without compromising on style. And here's the best part. Home Threads always has the best value. It was time. After nine years of living in our home, it was time to replace our outdoor furniture. And my husband and I, we went to Home Threads. We have a Home Threads patio umbrella and a new bench. And oh my goodness, we are so in love. Create a home that reflects your commitment to the environment. Visit homethreads.com slash sustainable and get a code for 15% off your first order. Homethreads.com slash sustainable. Love where you live. So many of us have chaotic closets that are crammed full of clothing items and yet somehow 
we still have nothing to wear. Well, upgrading to high quality and affordable pieces from Quince when you need them is a game changer. They offer organic cotton sweaters and washable silk tops. My 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters are my go-to. Not only are they affordable, but the quality is top-notch. They wear better than the cashmere sweaters that are double their price. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash sustainable podcast for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash sustainable podcast to get free shipping and 365 day returns. One more time, quince.com slash sustainable podcast. I have to ask you, just to satisfy my own curiosity, I need to know which brands in general had the lowest PFAS numbers versus the ones that had the most. Yeah. So I want to give you a little context for this answer, just because, so even though we tested 118 different products, that's from a variety of retailers. In certain cases, maybe we tested three to five products per retailer. In certain cases, maybe a few more or a few less, a few fewer. So just because we found a retailer that none of the items we tested had detectable PFAS, it doesn't mean that every item there will be PFAS free. And the reverse of that also true. If we found very high levels, it doesn't mean that every item there has high levels. In general, retailers that have said that they are trying to phase PFAS out or trying to avoid intentionally added PFAS in packaging tended to do better um, and to have lower levels. So that includes the grocery store Whole Foods, it includes the fast food restaurant Wendy's. I think that the fast food restaurant Freshy, those tended to have lower levels in most cases. We found higher levels. We found higher levels at McDonald's and Burger King and Nathan's Famous. For listeners who are interested, I will definitely link to the full report in this week's show notes. But what's really interesting to me about this topic today is my listeners identify as eco-conscious and informed consumers. They may think that when they're buying an item that's packaged in a cardboard box, that cardboard box could be compostable or recyclable. But the catch-22 here is that if that cardboard box is covered in a forever chemical, it's actually not at all environmentally friendly. Is it more environmentally friendly than the plastic alternative? I don't know if I have the level of knowledge necessary to answer that, but it brings up a conundrum for listeners who are trying to do better with their purchases. Do you have anything to say on the quote-unquote environmentally friendly package that's actually not environmentally friendly at all? Sure. So that I think is one of the things that we found that is both really interesting and I think really hard for people that are trying to be responsible about this. Because obviously it's hard for the individual consumer. You can't look at something and automatically know whether it has PFAS or not in it. And in certain cases, packaging that we looked at, I think that there was like a burger box that said something like EcoCraft on it or another thing that said paper from responsible sources. 
some paper plates that we tested had 100% compostable written on them. And these were all products that had quite high levels of PFAS that exceeded that limit California will have in place next year. And in certain cases, those paper plates, they did not meet the standard for 100% compostable, according to the standard setting, the, the group BPI that set those standards. And when we made the retailer and BPI aware of this, they said that the plates were being removed from shelves. People, Companies do use these terms, these kind of eco-friendly terms or responsible terms, and especially with products that look like cardboard that seem very recyclable. In certain cases, those terms can be just marketing. So I think that those terms don't necessarily mean quite as much as an actual stated commitment to say we're going to try to, you know, ensure that we don't have any PFAS in our products that are directly sold to consumers. As somebody who buys food, like that's infuriating to me. I know all about greenwashing. And what I hear from Consumer Reports research is that even though I consider myself an informed consumer, I'm still getting duped. So that brings me to probably my most important question for you, Kevin, which is, what can listeners like me do? What are some action steps for us to not only reduce our PFAS exposure, but also make smarter purchasing decisions moving forward and not be duped by greenwashing? There are a number of different ways we can look at this. Just on the food packaging level, we would say that it's probably a good idea to try to support organizations or com- you know companies that have said that they're going to try to phase PFAS out of packaging because levels tended to be in general lower from these uh, retailers. And so that seems like a good idea. Also in general, I, I, I'm sure that your listeners probably don't buy a ton of fast food, but sometimes you're on the road and you need to get something. And I would say that taking food out of packaging sooner rather than later is a good idea. If you're concerned about PFAS migrating from packaging into food, not reheating food in that packaging is also a good idea since heat can also increase the likelihood that these chemicals transfer into food. When it comes to avoiding PFAS in other aspects of our life, you can try to avoid products that are more likely to have PFAS in them. Other products that may have PFAS include carpets that are stain or water resistant, some outdoor gear. I've seen some ongoing work in this area, and I believe Patagonia is trying to commit to getting PFAS out of most of its gear within the next couple of years. And I know that there are campaigns to try to pressure other retailers to do the same. When it comes to, so there's this direct exposure from products that we use, things like clothing, carpets, food packaging, so on and so forth. And then there's also this environmental exposure, because even if you purchase all of the right things, it's still very possible that there's PFAS in your water. And depending on where you are, there could potentially be a lot of PFAS in your water. So you can test your water for PFAS. And if it does turn out that you have PFAS in your water, you can consider using a water filtration system that will help make sure that you can remove these chemicals before you're drinking that water or using that water for cooking, so on and so forth. Well, Kevin, I have really enjoyed talking to you today, but I must say that our conversation, not you, but maybe perhaps the conversation has annoyed and infuriated me in many regards because it brings home the point that there's only so much that I and my listeners can control. And so I asked you for some practical, smart, conscious consumer tips and tricks But what I'm hearing you say is that, yeah, there's some things we could do slightly differently, but there's so much that's out of our control as 
just everyday citizens, everyday consumers. So that brings me back to the regulation question. You said that the FDA, for lack of a better phrase, is dragging their feet. Do you have anything else to say on that? Yeah. So (laughs) I I think that it's very true that Consumers can do certain things to make a difference on their own and on that individual level. But for something like this, obviously, it's such a big problem and it's on such a big scale that you need more concerted action. And so I do think that campaigns to pressure the people that, you know, and food packaging is just one aspect of this, but it's the one that I'm currently most familiar with just because of our testing. And I think that the campaigns to pressure these retailers to get PFAS out of packaging from consumers and nonprofit groups have been heard over time, especially when combined with continued testing and, you know, reports are like ours, um, and other reports that have been previously done pointing out, hey, these chemicals are here. And as people become aware of it, they speak up about it more and more. And I do think that pressure can make a difference. And I think that similar pressure is what brings action from the other side, from the legislative side, which is why I think certain states are trying to take those steps at the same time. I think that perhaps if enough states take those steps, then that gets us to that point no matter what the FDA is or isn't doing at that point in time. But it is this question of concerted action and it's action in different areas. So there's this action on food packaging, and then it's this question of how do we address these chemicals in other settings? In certain ways, it's a one step at a time sort of thing. I think that the other thing that's important to point out, I wouldn't ever want anyone to panic because they ate a burger that it turns out came, or a bag of French fries that came in packaging that was full of PFAS. And it's not an acute, you know, one time thing. Microwave popcorn is known to have really high levels of PFAS in the bag sometimes. It's not a one-time exposure thing. It is a question of exposure over time. And so I think that is a reason to say that taking those steps that you can take on your own can make an impact because if you're trying to limit exposure over time, doing things, doing what you can does make a difference there. And I think step zero would be to educate yourself and to know. And so that's why I'm so thrilled to have talked to you today. Kevin, tell my listeners where they can learn more into Consumer Reports research into these forever chemicals. Yeah, if you just look for Consumer Reports food packaging PFAS, you will find uh, the results of this testing. And then that'll also bring you to a lot of our other work in the area. We've got coverage of kind of what the specific health harms of PFAS are, coverage are looks at kind of drinking water and PFAS and drinking water. Some of our work with this has also been co-published with The Guardian. So I think it's worth taking a look at the work that they've published in this area as well. Again, listeners, I'll make it easy for you. I will just hyperlink to it in the show notes. Kevin, I want to thank you so much. I enjoyed speaking with you and I look forward to reading more of your work in the future. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Listeners, that's a wrap. I've linked to everything you need and more. All of the research, all of the resources in this week's show notes at mamaminimalist.com forward slash 264. As always, if you liked this show, if you learned something, if you found it useful, please tell a friend, please share it online. Please rate and review if you haven't already. Thank you so much for supporting the show in these free and very quick ways. I appreciate you. I will see you on Tuesday for another interview. See you then and take care. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please play responsibly. For help, visit MDGamblingHelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. 